Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Spending some time reconnecting with nature this summer? Here's a camping hack from L.L. Bean to make your next trip the best yet. Tired of your tentmate's flashlights shining in your eyes in camp? Bring an empty half-gallon milk jug or clear water bottle. Simply strap a headlamp around it, and it becomes a soft white lantern for everyone to see the light. For more camping hacks, visit youtube.com slash L.L. Bean. L.L. Bean. Be an outsider. Write that. Write that down, Fumi Saito. Hello from Burbank, California. Once again, another episode of Write That Down. Fight Game Media Network. I am Justin Nipper. I edit for FightGameMedia.com, staff writer, WrestlingObserver.com. Also work for Pro Wrestling Noah, and I'm back with Japan's leading author, historian, university sociologist, Mr. Fumi Saito. Uh, this week we are remembering former NWF heavyweight champion, the late Johnny Powers. He actually passed at the end of the year, late last year, late December. Powers was from the Northeast, but he ended up a much bigger name in Japan because of his connection to the late Antonio Inoki. So learn about where the Eagle Belt came from and more in this week's special episode called Remembering Johnny Powers. If you have not already, please subscribe to the Fight Game Media Network podcast feed on Spotify, Apple, Google Play, Downcast, wherever you usually listen to your podcast. It helps us out very much. Let's jump right in. Remembering Johnny Powers. All right. Johnny Powers. All right. Johnny Powers. The name Johnny Powers may not be as popular as he should be for today's audience, obviously. Mm -hmm. And uh, if you Google or Wikipedia Johnny Powers, you might, you know, find the rockabilly singer, same name, Johnny Powers, before this wrestler, Johnny Powers. Mm. Yeah. And, uh, but the, Johnny Powers is very uh, important historical figure in Japanese wrestling, pro wrestling, especially with Antonio Inoki. And what's interesting is, though, that Johnny Powers, uh, born May 20th of 1943, okay? I mean, I'm sorry, March 20th, March 20th, 1943. Antonio Inoki born February 20th, 1943, only one month apart. So already they had a sort of similar path or, or parallel path. Yeah. Only one month apart mm-hmm. and passing away in same year, same age, age 79, you know, but the, Johnny powers basically retired from wrestling back in 1982 and basically disappeared. Right. Never associated with wrestling people or he didn't come to much of, you know, reunion or fan fest kind of thing, you know. And then last time, I believe he made appearance was like 2017, 18. Then the past 30 years about he never was connected with anybody in wrestling. And I don't know how much of a star he was nationally. I think he was more of a regional star for that time too because outside of the... When wrestling was more regional. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. And TV but was different. The... But he made a couple of old wrestling magazines, like Wrestling Review. Mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. And he always had this 1970s look, like this, you know, the curly hair, like a Brady Bunch. And the sideburns. 
Of course, yeah. So it represent seventies, you know, type seventies style. Yeah, I think so. And uh, he was sixty, you know, six four, two hundred eighty five pound guy, uh, the big guy, very big guy. And uh, yeah, thanks to uh, Greg Oliver's, uh, you know, Canadian Slam Wrestling website that uh, he would do the the entire career, and he already written it. And Dave Meltzer um, emailed me and wanted to know his, you know, place in wrestling in Japan. And uh, the, the Wrestling Observer will be doing this long feature on Chinese powers, but we can talk about his place in, in Japanese wrestling. Yeah, I, I don't know how many people realize how integral he was to New Japan and Antonio Inoki early on, and even before New Japan with right. Inoki's yeah, he debuted. First... Yeah, basically Johnny Powers debuted at age of seventeen, you know, seventeen, and became full time in when he was twenty. So it would have been nineteen sixty three, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, by then he um, see, he debuted in basically debuted in, in the Ontario area Hamilton. They moved, you know headed to big city Detroit, you know big bigger you know territory so to speak, right? Mm-hmm. But uh, he was um, he was basically kind of early you know bloomer that uh, he was challenging bruno san martino's wwf world heavyweight title like second year in in business and uh he had this power lock well, basically figure for leg lock but he called it power lock or figure eight uh leg lock uh, same move but uh, gave a different name to it and uh um at age 22, 23, he already started promoting wrestling as an active wrestler in early 20s, but wanted to be in the promoter side of that business too. And uh, when he was in the mid-20s, he bought Pedro Martinez Buffalo areas, you know, like promoting rights. And uh, he was promoter for with the show with people like Johnny Valentine, the Sheik, the Bobo Brazil, the Abdul, the Butcher, the Ernie Lad. I mean, real big name at the time. And uh, basically ran Buffalo uh, and the east side of the New York and upper east side, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, on uh, into Cleveland, Ohio. Western New York, central New York, western New York into Ohio, into uh, parts of Canada, Ontario. That whole yeah. region, yeah, because you're from New York, so you, you know. Explain to me that uh, it's not New York City, New York City, but but Buffalo, New York, is basically New York, but it's different culture almost. I mean, it's the second biggest city in the state. Uh, it has its own. I mean, it's a part of Western uh, New York, and I think the culture is, has more in common with states like Ohio, Michigan, than um, New England or tri-state area. Right, right, right. So not quite. Yeah, right. And but almost, Johnny almost, Powers yeah. was a kind of he was a face in that area, not just yeah. in the states too, but in the the part of Canada as well. Yeah, and his first tour to Japan was October of 1966. Tokyo Pro Wrestling, the very first Antonio Inoki's 23 year old Antonio Inoki's first outlaw company against the establishment Nippon Pro Wrestling JWA. And the very first tour Inoki had with this Tokyo Pro Wrestling, Johnny Valentine and and Johnny Powers were the headliner, along with Sunny people like Sunny Myers. So it was very similar that uh, Johnny Powers started promoting when he was what the age 22, 23, 23 year old Antonio Inoki started very first outlaw company in Japan, and uh, he, Johnny Powers on the tour, and uh, so they crossed paths. Right, mm-hmm. and uh, it must be really a similar, you know, that the almost a value orientation. He was always against the establishment. Yeah, and right. uh, oh, sorry, I was just gonna say, I can't really think of him, or you never really associate him with the NWA. He was always one. Of well, those... he did challenge NWA, and also he was in AWA too. 
you know, young Johnny Powers against the Crusher in cage match in Minnesota that people talk about to, to this day. But he never yeah. felt like he was a part of uh, the NWA group. He always felt like he was a part or of... Or like a big, you know, like headliner or big, you know, territory like NWA affiliate or mm. AWA or stuff like that. But he did travel while he was a full-time wrestler. But he always wanted to have his hands on uh, the active wrestler and promoter, promoter at the same time. That kind of person. Mm. Yeah. In 1970... Established uh, NWF. NWF. <laughs> NWF, National Wrestling Federation. It's not NWA, it's not WWF, but it's NWF. It's like a, <laughs> it, it's really hard to, you know, come up with like a, so now you have all kinds of different, you know, like a very creative name for wrestling company because there are so many. But at the time, American Wrestling Association, the National Wrestling Alliance, the Worldwide Wrestling Federation. The, uh, you have to sound big, right? Hmm. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. The, the reason NWF, you know, meant a lot in Japan was that Inoki's are uh, basically um, TV Asahi's Friday night primetime wrestling, world pro wrestling program, always talk, talked about how there were four major wrestling organizations in America, NWA, AWA, WWF, and NWF. So there was like a, they, they try to put this, you know, fourth group, Johnny Powers' group, NWF as like a fourth uh, major league of professional wrestling and made it, I mean, to me as a kid, I made it sound like they're all equal. Does that sound interesting? Yeah. It feels to me when you look back on it you look at the japanese fan base now i think that there's a perception that johnny powers and nwf were a lot bigger uh among than the it really was than it really yeah. was yeah and because it was antonio inoki's signature championship belt was that eagle belt mm. that he held until iwgp thing but uh nwf championship belt uh, I think that world title made Inoki in a much bigger stir in mid-70s, early to mid-70s, yeah. It used to be what the Ohio-based local world title thing, but uh, uh, what was interesting was, though, that Giant Baba would beat Jack Briscoe, right, mm -hmm. uh, to become very first Japanese NWA World Heavyweight Champion when NWA was the closest thing to undisputed world title, huh? you know? But uh, he, he did that with Jack Briscoe, and he did that three more times with, with Harry Race into early 80s, that uh, he would win the NWA world title at the beginning of the tour, a televised match, and, and about a week to 10 days later, he would drop the title back to Briscoe or Harry Race uh, on non-televised house show at the end of the tour hmm. and uh, it's not on tv so casual fans or casual tv viewers kind of forget about it right of course and yeah for me like in my junior high years or something that uh, you wouldn't find out how giant baba dropped the belt back to either briscoe or race until following month that uh, when wrestling magazine was monthly still and uh wow Baba lost the title back, right? Mm. And it was almost let down, huh? What I'm talking about is that Johnny Powers came in as National Wrestling Federation, NWA World Heavyweight Champion, and had a title defense against Inoki in December of 1973. Inoki beats Johnny Powers clean. It's like a two out of three fall match. First match, I mean, first fall, Inoki's abdominal stretch that the uh, Johnny Powers gives you know give up right. Then second for Powers Powers lock that the figure eight leg lock. Of course it's figure four, but the, the, the second fall goes to Johnny Powers. Third fall Inoki's very special octopus Manjigatame. He really wins world title. And what's important is though Inoki kept the title in Japan for the next seven years. So 
it's not like winning American title in Japan and then it's, you know, secretly, not a secret, but the quietly drop the title back to American champion at the end of the tour or anything like that. You know, he beat Johnny Powers for NWF title and the title became New Japan's marquee title for for next seven seven years and it became really important you know he really beat this american major league world title and then he kept it in japan does that make sense and it really it visually became like a part of the new japan identity around that time too yeah and so. that design of championship belt the eagle bell i mean there's so many pictures the gold belt. yeah you know yeah. holding that bell that specific belt and also, you know, like, like second reign of Bruno Sammartino to Bob Backlund to a lot of, you know, champions in America had a very similar design belt at the time. <clears throat> yeah, that's right. It did look similar. The eagle yeah, was so the trend. It was a, the, mm -hmm. the motif. Yeah, so it's like, a, that's the world title, right? And, uh, yeah, the fact, well... Now that we're all grown up, that the Inoki had purchased rights for NWF title, and Johnny Powers, as the owner of NWF, basically sold the rights to New Japan and Inoki and left the country. And NWF never promoted another show <clears throat> in America. Although he did come back with as an NWF North American uh, heavyweight champion with different belts. Yeah, but never was NWF champion again. And uh, it was really like, wow, that can happen. You know, the Japanese, you know, superstar would beat American champion in Japan and title would stay in Japan and be become Japanese title, basically. And uh, yeah, uh, it was really exciting because, you know, same time period, Giant Baba had PWF belt, right? Mm -hmm. Pacific Wrestling Federation heavyweight title, and they didn't have, didn't even have this the world in it. That uh, initially it was PWF world title, but just as soon as he joined as a member of NWA, that he took the the world world out of there because the only world title is your NWA world heavyweight title. And the Pacific Wrestling Federation title just became Pacific Wrestling PWF title, and so just kind of even as a you know seventh grade kid, you have to scratch your head. So NWA World title is bigger and above PWF, is that it? And uh, so Inoki's idea was to have his World title on his TV. Does that make sense? Yeah. And the the, yeah, the words they used, the vocabulary they used, it was world, international. Uh, <laughs> it, yeah, we talked about it. It was Ricky Dawson's title and, yeah. Right. Uh, and WWE kinda... title was the fire. And uh, yeah, those are yeah, yeah, very important in Japanese wrestling. Yeah. NFL Sunday Ticket is now on YouTube and YouTube TV, which means that it just got easier to be an NFL fan, even if you live far away. Like, maybe you like the Bears, but you're hibernating in Panthers territory. But with NFL Sunday Ticket, your out-of-market team is never more than a short distance away. Specifically, the distance from you to your remote control. NFL Sunday Ticket, now on YouTube and YouTube TV. Go to youtube.com slash presale to get $50 off. Terms and embargoes apply. Offer ends 919. No refund. Subscription auto renews. What's up? It's Kaylee Cuoco. When it comes to travel, we all have a happy place. I just went to my happy place. I just went to Maui, and it was truly amazing. Priceline has always been about getting you to your happy place for a happy price with deals you really can't find anywhere else, like up to 60% off select hotels in Costa Rica or five-star hotels for two-star prices in Cabo. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Over in the States, I think you would just sort of accept whatever they're you – know, that, that's not <laughs> yeah. the, the, the main issue. I think because, you know, especially as national television brought wrestling national, uh, we, we got to see different kinds of uh, yeah, takes I on I think it. Japanese fan and Japanese TV station and the Japanese sports media always compared wrestling with professional boxing – when they only had WBC and WBA, 
Mm-hmm. No IBF or uh, WBO or anything like that. You know that uh, always the the WWE. I mean uh, WBC and WBA. Those are the only two recognized world title or something like that. Only organization, foundation, federation, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, before, actually, there's a little bit more detail to this Johnny Powers thing. That uh, summer of 1973, before NWF title match, there was a NWA, NWA this time, NWA North American Tag Team title in Los Angeles Olympic Auditorium. The champion was NWA North American Tag Team Champion, uh, Johnny Powers and Pat Patterson. Inoki mm-hmm. and, and Seiji Sakaguchi traveled to LA, challenged its tag team title. We all believed it's NWA North American Tag Team title. Was there such title? It's okay. Uh, this is wrestling. But uh, even Inoki, you know, 1973 and 1974, two years in a row, he wanted to join NWA as a member membership mm-hmm. and went to NWA annual con- you know, convention, conference, and applied for uh, membership in NWA. But uh, there's a group of American promoters that recognize Inoki, to, you know, uh, voted for Inoki to be a member of NWA. There's another group, friends with Giant Barber and Dory Funk, that let's not, let's not you know, let Inoki into this group and all these. And, and Inoki was denied the NWA membership two years in a row, 73 and 74. Interesting, huh? As big as Inoki was, there was a couple of years that he wanted to be NWA member so he could have all kinds of NWA superstars in his, his television. Are you following me on that? Yeah, and I think, well, I mean, what do you think? Was there a kind of kinship between Johnny Powers and Antonio Noki as far as that goes? They were both sort of uh, on the outside. So they the... went ahead, and, yeah, so they went ahead and created NWA, North American Tag Team Champion, you know, title, and the, the, the champion was Johnny Powers and Pat Patterson, two American stars that helped Inoki early on in New Japan Pro Wrestling. See, Carl Gotch, uh, was the, like a booking agent for you know international talent for New Japan, but the, as good a coach and the, the you know the whole Korogach God of Wrestling thing was was good, but he wasn't necessary like a promoter type. You know he couldn't book you know famous American superstars to New Japan ring and. Uh, Johnny Powers and Pat Patterson were f- close friends with Inoki, and those two helped early on in New Japan. And uh, Johnny Powers, Pat Patterson, well, they weren't even working together because Johnny Powers from East Coast Buffalo, right? And Pat Patterson at the time, San Francisco champion, you know, like U.S. champion. Anyhow, that those two, Inoki's two friends, they got together, they became. New Japan creation, of course, but in, they went ahead and recognized NWA North American Tag Team Championship. And those two were cha- you know, original champions, Johnny Powers and Pat Patterson. And Inoki and Sakaguchi flew to Los Angeles Olympic Auditorium at a title match. Smart thing was, though, Inoki and Sakaguchi did not win the title from them. You know, not winning makes this title more prestigious. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. How so? How, how would how did it make it more prestigious if if they lost? Yeah, because Inoki and Sakaguchi couldn't beat him. Mm-hmm. That the champion must be champion strong, and it's hard to get that North American tag team title. And man. this was before Inoki won the title. This right, the, okay, summer, summer, summer of nineteen seventy three, mm-hmm. and Johnny Powers and Pat Patterson together they came to uh, December, uh, to New Japan. December of 1973 mm. and had a title defense. Inoki and Sakaguchi couldn't beat him this time. But on the same tour, Inoki did win a single title, NWF title, from uh, Johnny Powers at the end of the year, 73. Mm. One title. But later on, um, the, the, probably they had a phantom title switch that uh, NWA North American Tag Team Champion was two German, you know, uh, rest, not not German American, of course, but the, 
Carl von Schatz and Kurt von Hess, they came to Japan as NWA North American Tag Team Champion and dropped to uh, dropped the tag team belt to Inoki and Sakaguchi the following year. Carl hmm. von Schatz and Kurt von Hess. <laughs> yeah, so German gimmick wrestler was still there. You know, Nazi gimmick wrestler was still around in seventies. Yeah. Anyhow, that the, so Johnny Powers was NWA tag team, uh, NWA North American tag team champions, and also NWF World Heavyweight Champion. So New Japan and Antonio used Johnny Powers as like a top name. Yeah. And just about every year from that point on, Johnny Powers come, comes back to Japan and challenges Inoki for NWF title as a former champion. Hmm. Until like, yeah, like 74, 75, 76, until like 79. And final tour he had was uh, uh, inaugural Madison Square Garden Tag Team Tournament. Then at the time you had you already had Andrew the Giant, the Stan Hansen, the you know these superstars. So he, the Johnny Powers, was like a slowly fading, you know, from the, the top spot. He um, later interviewed that the Johnny Powers was claiming that the, he had about 30, 40 tours with Japan. Right? I counted. It was like a thirteen tours. So a, it's okay. a little bit of embellishment, but he, he'd been around a couple times. It's okay. You remember Dick Morlock episode? Mm -hmm. <laughs> he's, a, right. he's, been, he's been to Japan a couple hundred times, right? Sure. He must have felt like a couple hundred times. But we, when we counted, he was like a 55 tours. Mm. But that's a lot. Yeah. It still is a lot. That's true. Yeah. So 13 tours altogether. And 1980... Madison Square Garden series that's like a forerunner of today's IWGP or the G1 Climax Spring Tournament kind of thing. That uh, what was interesting was that uh, this Madison Square Garden Tournament 1980, you already had Bob Backlund in there, Under the Giant in there, Dusty Rose in there, very first tour of Young Hulk Hogan in there. You had Stan Hansen in there, uh, people like Chavo Guerrero and Tiro Santana, all these WWF associates. But Inoki still brought Johnny Powers into this you know, pack package. After he signed, a, after Inoki signed a partnership with Vince McMahon Senior, isn't that interesting? So Johnny Powers was really a, a big part of that pre-era New it, Japan. The, the Vince McMahon Senior partnership, mm -hmm. yeah. Mm -hmm. And also NWF, it was important for Inoki to have um, existing American World Heavyweight Title instead of creating it in in, in Japan. Yeah, it kind of felt like a, a natural or organic rivalry as mm -hmm. I think they were going for. And I think that uh, their paths uh, were adjacent and they suited each other at the time. And I think it worked out. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I, can't say, I can't say much more than that because Johnny Powers left the business sort of a couple of years after all this. After that, right, right. Yeah, not, not long and after. And the last tour he had was 1980 and he came back 10 years later just once. That, that was a September 30th. 1990, Antonio Inoki's 30 years in business at the big, you know, real big ceremony at the Yokohama Arena with people, you know, they created uh, their league called Greatest 18 Club. Uh, they created the championship belt too, you know, Greatest 18 Club, including Luthes, the Andre, the Stan Hansen, the uh, Bachwinkle, the Billy Robinson, and uh, Johnny Valentine was, you know, brought in, and Johnny Powers was in it, and the judo, you know, King William Ruska, and all these people were gathered in Hiro Matsuda. They all gathered, Bakwenko, of course, uh, gathered in the ring and took the, in a big picture together, like a greatest 18 club. And Johnny Powers was in it, and for American, you know, audience, you know, I, I've been often asked, you know, because they recognize the photos, Andre in there, Stan in, Hansen in there, that the Bakwenko, the Hiro Matsuda in there, that the Johnny Valentine in there. Who is that person? 
Who is that person? A lot of American fans did not recognize Johnny Powers in the same photo. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because uh, not in the establishment, huh? It's funny how things turn out. I think Johnny Powers ended up being quite a big star in Japan and bigger than he was in the stateside. Yeah, by by stateside fans. Um, yeah, but he was NWF champion. He was, but that's you know, regional. The, I think that's regional. Yeah, yeah, it's a regional. And I think and it, also, yeah. I, I just don't, I don't think somebody down in Atlanta would. Oh no, no, not, not that. about somebody like that. But early, early seventies, uh, um, like a wrestling, you know, wrestling review magazine. Mm -hmm. and, he got coverage. You know, yeah, not just that, but there's a ranking. Remember the sure, like NWA yeah. ranking top ten, AWA ranking top ten, and WWF top ten ranking. And right next to it, they always had for a while, for a while though. But the, they had NWF ten top ten ranking in there too. So for some people, or a certain period of time, like a five year period, that they they treated NWF as almost equal like a different league and what was interesting was that the end before nwf he was a promoter uh for like a not just promoter but he was like a tv producer for syndicated tv programming called championship wrestling we have to explain this syndicate syndicated tv program to, to today's audience huh I, I mean, it did develop over the years, but when, when we're talking in the 80s, that when, when cable was part of the equation, syndicated television, the syndicated television packages were a big part of the landscape, and pro wrestling was mm -hmm. connected to it too. Because yeah. so different areas were offering different products that they could syndicate. And also, you never know what part of the country or the part of the world, for that matter, that that, that syndicated TV program pops up right not necessarily you'd see a lot of uh, r random p pieces of content from certain areas of the states uh, broadcast in another another area that doesn't have anything to do with it it's just maybe part of right right the like middle, was, middle of the night yeah you know, trying to I, I don't know how to explain syndication package deals in the 80s in just one sentence so he was producing the tv the, the you know program as a package and it was selling to all over the country and all, all over the world for that matter you know and uh, it was interesting that the, he you know touched all, all these kind of what, what, what was new at the time syndication tv that the uhf channel mm -hmm. probably today's audience don't know that and then cable and uh, then there was the closed circuit shows before pay-per-view, huh? And it's decades before you're, you're streaming, you know, on, on the internet. And uh, wrestling always evolved with this media technology. And early on, Johnny Powers uh, had his hands on those things. A lot like Inoki is so similar. Yeah, is mm. what I'm saying. Yeah, and uh, so and he was. Yeah, did, correct me if I'm wrong. He even trained some wrestlers as well. Isn't that right? I I believe so. Uh, with you know in the Toronto area with Sweet Daddy Siki, mm -hmm. and later on that became part of Ron Hutchinson's wrestling school, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. But he wasn't all interested in training people, I don't think. He was more on on, on promoting and producing side of it. That the, later on, he did the rock concert and other you know stuff. And he even promoted later on MMA show in Ontario area. And uh, but he really was not in public eyes after he retired from wrestling. And he retired altogether in 1982. So it's been 40 years. So he just pretty much wasn't fun you know this past 40 years yeah and it's interesting that inoki passed you know o october 1st of this you know 2022 and 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 two months later he's gone yeah 
you know, I mean, I'm not saying interesting, but like, no, it's it's you know, it's a why would that happen? You know, it's it's a coincidence. Uh, these two, and they were born around the same time, and they passed around the same only time. Only one one month apart. Yeah, you know, it's funny. I didn't know until he told me tonight that um that he pr- promoted MMA a little yeah. bit. Yeah. That was the same yeah. as Inoki in the late nineties as well. Of course, on I guess late nineties to two thousand new millennium. They, oh, they had yeah. some kind of symbiotic relationship. I don't know what exactly it was. I don't think it was a strong or uh, or Maybe they had the same, same kind of antenna or something. Something like that. There's some kind of um, uh, magnetic or kinship or, or or connection between these two. Something. Uh, strong, uh, unspoken, but s- s- clearly uh, past that. If they're not adjacent, that they're definitely crossing. Yeah, and then also think about it. He was running NWF in Cleveland, Ohio at the time, and Inoki offered to buy this NWF title to keep in Japan. And then he mm-hmm. basically, all right, he sold it. And... Uh, in the old-fashioned, you know, 70s promoter probably went back to, you know, States and still had the NWF title, right? Hmm. And uh, But he kept, uh, you know, promise that he never promoted NWF world title again. And following year, there was, if you remember, Eddie Ihorn's IWA, the short-lived but the national syndicated new group with Mil Mascaras as a champion. Mm-hmm. Johnny Power was a part of that, you know, group too. Mm-hmm. Was always, always like a, like a fighting against this establishment, IWA, International Wrestling Association, and having Mill Maskers as their world champion. They tried to run like North Carolina, like NWA Crockett Land, and they lost, lost the war, but uh, always went up against the establishment. Very similar to Antonio Inoki's IWGP idea later on. See, mm-hmm. IWGP in 1980, in three years in making, was that he was going to create undisputed the biggest, the top of the mountain world championship. Well, later on became IWGP title, but the, the idea of IWGP was to to you know make all the existing championship belt vacant and then create only one title yeah oh then it became another title but uh, uh, that's it's been 40 years but uh, the idea of IWGP was such that was Antonio Inoki's idea and then really gave up NWF title too yeah and uh, and that created Hulk Hogan as you know first inaugural champion you know the, the tournament winner you would think Inoki will beat Hulk Hogan to become the you know inaugural winner of the IWGP tournament 1983. Instead, Inoki lost, and that made IWGP even bigger. Is that interesting? Mm. I mean, losing bigger or something. Yeah. But the NWF title was the New Japan's like a. It was the biggest thing, my childhood thing, yeah, because Inoki did not defend NWF title every month or anything like that. He only, you know, had the title match like four or five times a year, much like your boxing world champion. Right. Yeah. And that's like uh, he doesn't defend his world title that easy. You know, he has to be worthy opponent and all super, you know, big event kind of thing. And the first title defense was against Japanese, then star Strong Kobayashi. Then Inoki against Strong Kobayashi was such a big deal. And uh, it made NWF like world title. It's really like a world title, world title in Japan. Yeah, it seemed to turn into something a lot bigger than it initially was. Yeah, I think so. And uh, it's something all Japan, Jan Baba didn't do was that, you know, Inoki's title, you know, NWF title defense, they always brought the like, orchestra or the live band or the big symphonies, always played national anthem before the title match. This is wrestling, but they always 
played American national anthem and Japanese national anthem. They had a whole ceremony, and people like Korogachi and Luthes come in as a witness. And uh, the title, Inoki's title, NWF world title match looked like world title match. Hmm. Yeah. And, you know, like Inoki against Billy Robinson. Yeah, only happened once, but uh, they played both national anthem and uh, again, Korogachi and Luthes as a witness in, at the ringside. It was the whole setup was it looks like very important world heavyweight title match. Yeah, it was almost like the uh, opening to a tennis tournament like a Wimbledon. world cup something yeah yeah world cup yeah, or, yeah it, it it felt like a sports special like a if you remember back in the uh, early, and earliest the, days the announcer t, you know tv asahi sportscaster announcer not the wrestling people but they they had this network sportscaster announcer calling play-by-play inoki's matches mm. yeah so he made it look like it's something it, it's, you're watching something really important really it did really enhanced the uh, reality or, or importance <laughs> reality of it yeah yeah. yeah in hindsight yeah it was another wrestling title match but uh those you know sort of window dressing in a way was very important at the time and wrestling was on network television eight o'clock prime time and sometimes that uh Inoki's title defense goes so long that uh, they have to cut cut the TV program. It's like, oh, we have to go. I'll, I'll show you next week. It's like, wow. It's like, see, the little argument for wrestling haters at, at school or your neighborhood or your uncle or relatives that, the, well, the wrestling only always always finish before the TV is, you know time is over. That's why it's so fixed, right? No, Inoki's title match you know goes overtime sometimes, make it more real. Does that make sense? Mm. Yeah. Because yeah. it's like TV, you know, it didn't fit in, in, in the time frame that the match went, you know, longer or something. And, uh, yeah, a lot of, lot of different things to make it look so real. Yeah. That's 70s, like, wrestling effort, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. But uh, now that, uh, yeah, it's been a big news that, uh Pretty big news that you know today's fans, you know, probably the name Johnny Ace doesn't mean all that much, but for Johnny Powers, they, I mean, I'm sorry, Johnny Powers. I'm sorry. Johnny Ace um, means something different. <laughs> yeah, well, when you say Johnny, I just you know like I I automatically said that he's a friend of mine. Uh, yeah, name Johnny Powers. Um, really, like a just refresh childhood memory or something. That wow, he used to come over here every year, and as as a former world champion, and challenged Inoki, and Inoki successfully defends his title again, and uh, but the former champion respected, and he always had the you know signature seventies curly hair. We had the <laughs> and, afro. He had yeah, seventies. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I was like a fairly you know, like a Brady Bunch hairdo. Yes, like, yeah, yeah, like Greg Brady. Um... Yeah, yeah. And uh, what was interesting that the TV announcer at the time, you know, because of Dick Bayer Destroyer and the Jack Briscoe's finishing move, figure four leg lock is a big thing, right? But they were calling Johnny Powers the same move, figure eight leg lock or Powers lock. So it's like, a, it's the same basic, same maneuver, but uh, it's like a, it's like more devastating or something. <laughs> it was always along the lines of like that, the 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 you know power lock or, or figure eight, NWF versus NWA. It always kind of felt yeah. like it was trying to sound somewhat similar to what the other establishment was were offering, but they weren't a part of it, so they had their own version, and you know. But the TV, it's just general TV audience is not wrestling magazine reading oriented wrestling fans. That's true. You know what I'm saying? It wasn't yeah. as big of a deal. It's not like. Yeah, because I learned something when I was like seventh grade, eighth grade. The one, uh, one January tour, Giant Baba's Old Japan had Jack Briscoe and Hardy Race and Dory Funk together on the same tour. Every night's NWA title match, right? I mean, that's like really big deal for reading-oriented wrestling fans. On the same time, 
um, uh, January, I believe, 74 and 75, then that uh, New Japan had Maguire brothers. You know, Maguire, Maguire twins, you know, like 600, 700 pound, you know, obese twin brothers, yeah. Maguire brothers. Kids at school talked about Maguire brothers and really? nobody, yeah, yeah, because something they watched on TV last night. Did you see Maguire brothers? Oh, they are so big, right? And uh, nobody talked about Harley Race and Jack Briscoe and Dory Funk Jr. at school. That's how strong TV was. Hmm. Yeah, because uh, well, of course I was reading wrestling magazine, you know, back to back to every page of it. So uh, for me, having Jack Briscoe, Harley Race, and Dory Funk Jr. on the same tour and basically having end of the title match night after night was such a big deal. But people watching network TV Friday night, eight o'clock, Inoki's show, they were watching Maguire Brothers hmm. and they talked about it. Hmm. That's the difference between TV audience and, and, and loyal wrestling fans. And general TV audience is bigger, right? Of course. Yeah. yeah so, just, mm. so same effect that uh, I believe that the, the general TV audience watching Friday Night Elakaki Noki's New Japan Pro Wrestling program, World Pro Wrestling, they felt NWF and Johnny Powers was a legitimate world champion. And treated him like that, too. And he didn't have, you know, I mean, regular tours. Whenever Johnny Powers came back, it was something special. And the former champion challenging Inoki again kind of thing. Mm. And just, I guess, depends on how you produce your TV show. You know, I learned something as a kid. It's like, right, what everybody watches on TV and how serious wrestling fan watching the, the the show it's like we're watching two different things right yeah yeah but the johnny powers brought back lots of memory and you have to be over at least 50 to know <laughs> uh johnny powers and how big of a star he was in japan but yeah. he was and he still seems to have that um you know resonance with a certain generation of fans yeah yeah, because he was a champion, NWF cha world champion, and he was the one who dropped the title, uh, you know, Inoki beat to become his first world championship. And, uh, yeah, it was 1973. Everybody was a kid. <laughs> yeah, it was like that. But it was wow. part of Inoki's uh, uh, mythos. A big, you know? Yeah, legacy, yes. It was very much first world title, it, yeah, for Inoki. And it's grade eighteen. The grade eighteen is a big part of the of Inoki's. Uh, what's the word? I guess I'm looking for mystique or aura. Yeah, pretty it's much a big part of it. So yeah, yeah and then in the thirty year anniversary show, he brought back all the you know former rivals in under the giant, uh, Luthes, the Billy Robinson, the Tiger Jeet Singh, the Johnny Valentine, the, and Johnny Powers was in, in it. Yeah. He wasn't even active or he was even associated with wrestling people at the time. It was 1990. And that was the last tour already, what, 30, 33 years ago. Oh, my gosh. You know? Hmm. Yeah. But, well, yes. But, yeah, I think that, that wraps it up. That, and it was just a couple days ago that he passed. Mm -hmm. It was December 30th. Dece December 30th. I think the December news 30th. just came out. Right, just this came week, out. Right, yeah, he did pass because wrestling December. people didn't really catch up on that. You know, it, it, somebody found uh, one of those obituary website thing that uh, funeral home put out that the, this is where you send flowers to his family. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. That was like a yeah a website thing for this funeral service, and somebody found it because his real name is what the Dennis Arnold Walter or something, you know. And uh, nobody, not too many people, didn't think it was Johnny Powers, the wrestler. Right, he seemed to stay away from the business I mean, for a, quite a while, so. Yeah, and he didn't have that curly, you know, afro-looking 70s hairdo right. anymore. Right. Yeah, yeah, not many people headed. do these days. Oh, no, no, not, I mean, completely Just, unrecognizable. Uh, Katsuhiko Nakajima, maybe, that's it. <laughs> Close enough. Yeah, no, yeah so... Kidding. Oh, today's 
Cody here. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, interesting. But, but um, Johnny Powers was interesting uh, character, interesting kind of you know, different kind of superstar in Japan. Yeah, and and if you really want to learn more about Inoki, you have to study the Johnny Powers period. Yeah, he was an important person in Anthony Inoki's career. Yes, and and that how, what that belt, uh, the NWF belt. Oh, that go on yeah, to become. Belt. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Oh, that's a signature championship belt. Yeah, you know that's it's totally Inoki's belt, mm. more so than the IWGP belt. Yeah, it's the belt that I envision when I imagine the picture of Inoki with Inoki. That. Yeah. And also, the, he was in 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 his thirties, and I mean, obviously, Inoki's peak years. Right, he was yeah. just turning into a megastar. He was a yeah. star, but he's turning into the Inoki we know, Antonio Inoki. Right, that's right. And same year they passed. Uh, really, yeah, signals. Yeah, but the end of an era. End of an era for sure. Yeah, very good. All right. So, if people have questions or they want to reach out to you and ask you questions, and also that uh, some historical figure or the historical events or uh, particular wrestlers that they want us to go over on this, you know, podcast, we like to you know take questions. Yeah, and uh, yeah, send me questions and stuff like that. Yeah, and where? And if you want to find me at Twitter at Fumihiko Dayo, F-U-M-I-H-I-K-O-D-A-Y-O, Fumihiko Dayo on Twitter, or just Fumisaito on, on Facebook. And on Twitter, I'm at Justin M. Nipper, K-N-I-P-P-E-R. That's it for this week. Uh, until next week, Fumi, take it away. So long from Tokyo. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, Place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager. Only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.